Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Swarm Chatter Live slash Swarm Chatter Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be joined by Professor Ephraim Kannerfogel, who is the E. Billy Ivory University Professor of Jewish History and Literature, Jewish History, Literature, and Law at the Bernard Revel Graduate School of Jewish Studies and Yeshiva University. Uh, so we'll be discussing the Bali Tysis, which is something that he is an expert in, as well as um, his, his old books and his forthcoming books. Let's get one. Okay, can you hear me? I hear you. Okay, so thank you very much for joining me. Uh, why don't you start out by giving the listeners a, a brief background on yourself? Okay, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I am a, uh, for lack of a better term, an Ishwayu. Uh, I started in the Siftiv for my bar mitzvah, and uh, I went through um, the yeshiva, college, smicha, kolel, PhD, all the way through. Um, although, as a result, perhaps uh, intentionally, uh, once I got a little bit older, I started to visit all kinds of places and travel all over to give it a little bit of rounding. And the fact is, my um, I was able to learn with... Uh, the Rav, who uh, needs no introduction. And as I like to say, all of my teachers at Yeshiva were uh, Iluyim, uh, except for one who was very, very smart. Uh, I won't identify through Masif, from Masif to on. So I had a very excellent uh, education and learning. And um, my doctorate was done at Yeshiva, but as I also like to joke, for three people who at that time didn't really work for Yeshiva. One of them was Professor Yaakov Katz, Colonel of Rocha, who uh, was a great, great scholar in the history of halacha, who, to my fortune, came to yeshiva after his retirement at Hebrew University for four semester alas, as they call them there, four fall semesters. And I was able to have him as my main advisor. At that time, Professor Soloveitchik, Chaim Soloveitchik, had gone back to Israel. So he was at Hebrew U, and Professor Katz came to us. It wasn't an exact replacement, but I had studied with Professor Soloveitchik. This way, I got Professor Katz, who was also his doctor, Vater, so that was very good. And the other two people on my doctoral committee were Libanol Bethaim Chaim, Professor Berger, David Berger, who subsequently became my dean. We've worked together. We really uh, have control now over the medieval Jewish studies doctorates, and it's really a very good group. And uh, Professor Shnei Loim in the Zangazun, who uh, was Dean of Revel for a while and taught at Revel and still teaches at Revel in, in an adjunct capacity. So despite the fact that none of them worked full-time for Yeshiva at that time, uh, I was very fortunate to have studied with them. And I'll just add that as my doctorate was being finished, I received a wonderful letter from Professor Torsky, Isidore Torsky, the Colonel of Rocha of Harvard, inviting me to join what we again lovingly call his medieval kolel. He used to have a shalosh palmin bashana, sometimes four, and he encouraged young people to come up and join, and he would bring in all kinds of very important scholars. So I got to sit with him for a couple of years in that capacity, postdoc, if you will, and uh, that was also very formative. And then I had started to really go and meet with the people in Israel, uh, people like Professor Tash Mazal, again, Lahavda bin Chaim Lachaim, Moshe Del, Avram Grossman, Gidolei, uh, Madea do it in Israel, and again, B'nai Torah, and very interesting people. And um, so I got a pretty much of an international education coming out of coming out of yeshiva. So that's the long answer to the short question. Right, so you had a personal connection to Rav Salvechik? I was in yeshiva for four years. Rav Salvechik is unbelievable. At that point, he was still completely clear. He had all kinds of physical 
things, uh, stomach things and eye things and various, but he overcame all of them. Mind over matter was his uh, unofficial uh, motto, which you saw every day in this year. Uh, when he gave this year, he sounded like he was 25. He got all excited. And then afterwards, he would sometimes give a krechts and go back to reality. Uh, his brother of Aronzal gave bigger krechts, but it was the same concept. Uh, the Rav had 100-plus people in Yeshiva, 100 people on the list in Yeshiva, and 25 Vatikim was sitting in. He took the attendance every day. I guess himself, he had attendance money. He called the names every day. I think in part, A, he really wanted to know who was in Yeshiva, but also he signed, my smich from Yeshiva signed only by him and by Rabbi Lamb, by Dr. Lamb, who was just the Nifta recently. And I think he wanted to have some idea of me, Vamiyahochim. So I didn't spend my time with the Rav as much as I could have, should have, might have, but uh, the one time I came to see him to the apartment to ask a question, I was a kid. I was, you know, in, still in college when I started there. I was about 18, 19, I don't remember. And he said to me, you are, I know you, kind of you in my shear. And he, he knew exactly who I was. Uh, you know, I had to read in the shear. He tortured the new guys. And, uh, but, but, uh, and years later, I came to him with a shayla for somebody else. And he knew that I worked in yeshiva, so he said to me, it was a very difficult Shiloh, he said, he got very upset, he said, where is the Shiloh coming from? He, so I said, no, no, Rebbe, it's not from yeshiva. He said, oh, okay, good. So he had a, so I can't, so somebody said to me, he's not going to give you an answer. I said, he will. He said, I, I said, how do you know? I said, because I don't come here every week to ask him Shilas. This was a very big Shiloh. And I came to him with a very big problem for somebody else, and he, uh, of course, solved it. But, uh, so I had, I, I have harata. I never went to onset to hear Kinos. I you know, every time I spend a lot of time studying the Rav on Kinos, I've written about it. I have Harota that I should have gone to every single Shia he ever gave. But to the Shirim that he gave in Yeshiva every week, I went for years. I was a member of the Shia for years. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And how, how long are you uh, teaching now in YU? Well, I started almost after my bar mitzvah. Now, seriously, Yeshiva was very nice to me, always very nice to me. First of all, even when I was in the cola, they let me teach on my lunch hours. It was pretty hilarious. So I'm teaching technically, I think, since Tavshin Lamites, since I got smicha. As soon as I got smicha, they let me teach, like adjunct, teach a little bit. And they said, you'll teach here. And as soon as I finished the kolel and finished past smicha, I did my doctoral orals. And since 1981, I was still writing my doctorate. But since 1981, 82, I'm teaching full time. And I went up through the ranks from an instructor to a you know, tenure track, got tenure bar Hashem, got full professor, got a chair, got university professor. It all went kviya misparim and kviya kavim. You did the work and yeshiva really was very... Um, very receptive, and I must say, I've had offers over the years. Every time Yeshiva heard an offer, they said, no, 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 you're staying. And they not only made it worth my while, but they said, listen, what you'd like, we'll give you in terms of students, in terms of what you do. So I'm, I consider myself truly blessed. The kids are, I came to Yeshiva with no, my father, all of our shalom, was very nervous. My father never went to Yeshiva. They couldn't afford it. So he was only nervous that I would somehow not get something because be sort of sidetracked because I had no yichas. And I explained to him, and that's the way Yeshiva was, and I think it's the way Yeshiva is, certainly when the Rav was there, but even now. Rav Shechter was my Rebbe for many years. Was my, I was in his kola, was my Masada Kedush, and very close to Rav Shechter. And it's, I said, I, Dad said to my father, Tots, it's, it's a meritocracy. If you can hit, if you can learn, they'll let you work. And kachave. Right. And one more question about yourself. So, and how long were you a Rav? Did you have a shul for? Yeah, so... so 
having said the yeshiva was very good to me, when I started out, when I left Kolo and I was teaching, you know, uh, I was working on my doctorate. So I tried out for a very nice part-time shul in Teaneck, New Jersey, a wonderful shul. It had about 100 families young. I was about 27 when I went there, and they were about 28. And, you know, it was very nice. It was 10 to 12 minutes from yeshiva with no traffic. You know, if you know when to go and how to go, very nice. And uh, the shul took off. So I was a rub there for about 18 and 19 years. I think I'm now out as long as I was in. At one point, uh, between my work getting more expansive, I remember I'm a Kayan, so that wasn't, And it wasn't a problem in the shul because the people were so young. It was a school of Arichas Yom. I don't know. That's what somebody joked. Maybe they were right. Uh, I remember I was in an airport in Ohio, in, um, um, in Ohio uh, uh, oh, where the Schottensteins are from. Um, uh, I had given a talk at Ohio State University, a very prestigious talk. And um, I was in the airport. I had gotten a call that there was Nebuchadnezzar Leviah. And since I was a client, I couldn't go too much to Leviah's, but we organized Leviah's. This is before cell phones. I had a calling card. And I'm standing in the airport, uh, uh, calling with a calling card all the people and setting things up and I said to my wife you know Baruch Hashem we pulled it off but you can't be in six places at once so as it turned out Yeshiva also had other ideas for me so uh, I retired uh, at the tender age of about 44, 45 and uh, I had a wonderful time it was a wonderful experience the part-time shul had hundreds of members and hundreds of children it was a success. We built a shul, Baruch Hashem. Some kids from the shul actually did doctorates too, very interesting. And um, Baruch Hashem, uh, it worked out. So Yeshiva didn't pull me out. They, they with my complete agreement, they, uh, they, they, they invited me to come in completely and, and really be, I was always full-time and I had tenure already, I had full professor. They brought me in and said, okay, now you'll work only for us. And that's the way it's been for the last 20 years. So, Baruch Hashem. Right. I, you're referring to Columbus, Ohio? Columbus, Ohio. I'm sorry. Yes. Is that a block there? Yeah, there you Columbus go. Columbus is right. Okay. So, let's jump in. So, you started your dissertation, I imagine, it was on the Bali Tysis, and that's what you've written on a lot of. So, why don't you talk about that? Right. And I guess that God ties right into what drew you to the Bali Tysis. How did you get attracted to that whole school? For why did you decide to start researching and writing on that? That's a very good question. I have a very cute answer. I mean, a true answer. So, I already, my first Rebbe in Masifta, who was somebody named Rav Tzvi Fishmanzal, who died at a very young age. He died in his early 50s. His father was Rav Henech Fishman, who was a Hoshiva Talmud of the Mir, also died at a very young age. There, Rav Henech's father died at 95. Go, you know, Rav Tzvi Fishman is a Talmud of the Rav. Everybody, every Rebbe I had, except for Rabbi Bleich, who was a Godel Shibigdolin when I was in first year base medrash in, 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 you know, after Masifta, everyone was a Talmud of the Rav. And if you learned by the Rav, the first thing you learned about was Rishonim. Now, I came to MTA, I knew one Blat Gemara. I went to a wonderful day school, Westchester Day School, a wonderful school that taught every type of literary analysis in Hebrew, English, French, math, science, you name it, we learned it. Gemara, we knew one Blat. So they put us into a program where we learn more Gemara, but it turned out this young Rabbi Fishman was one of the key rebellion. And he took a liking to me, and I took a liking to him. And he loved to talk about the Rishonim. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. And even in high school, I remember thinking about Baliatos in particular, because what interested me there too, and we can get into some real subject matter here, 
when you're dealing with the Rambam, you're dealing with one person, the great Rambam, right? Every word is written by him. Every change or non-change is made by him. Every Lashon is his. Baleatosfis, it's not as many people as many people think. It's not hundreds of Baleatosfis, but it's certainly tens, um, some who are, you know, very critical. But I was fascinated by the way that Tosfis somehow came together. And I remember... In college, you know, when I was in yeshiva ready, in college at night, my roommate is a wonderful pediatrician. He was a medical doctor, my college roommate. He learned Nagush. I never went there at school. My parents wouldn't let. We were early admissions freshmen. We were kids. Couldn't go. Anyway, he was doing all his, after we came back from base medicine, he would come back a little earlier than me, but all right. He would do his medical studies, his science, and I would be reading Urbach's Baleatosfis, the original edition from uh, 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 1955. And um, I would be making note cards. Why? I wasn't sure. But I was already getting into this. So by the time I was, you know, I don't know, before 20, 18, I was already very excited about the Bali Hatosfis. I was mostly learning them, but I was already beginning to think that this was a field. Then, as it turned out, I was... We were early admissions. We were BAMA. I went to Revel, the school in which I give doctorates now. And Professor Agus, all of Asholem taught. He was an expert, Marami Rutenberg, and other Rishonei Ashkenaz. And um, it just was a very fortuitous, you know, it's Akobi De Shemaim Chutzmir Shemaim was very fortuitous. And I was exposed to all of it with great people teaching it. And I was very excited about it. I mean, Rishonim in general, but Baleatos in particular. So this is something that I came to very young if you will, and I started to do my own sort of investigations, and I started to bring it into my learning a little bit, my own learning a little bit more. The Rav didn't, the Rav, of course, knew who all the Baalitos were. The Rav didn't get involved in the Shia with who's who and what's what too much, right? The Rambam, he got involved, Baalitosfis, who he loved, but the Baalitosfis, Hatosfis, as he would say it. Um, so he didn't discuss really who was who and what was what, but my sense was that you could contribute by knowing who's who and what's what, and that's what I try to do. Uh, right. So I guess let's start in the beginning. How, given a basic overview for everybody, how the Tysis developed, who were the critical authors, as you say? Okay. People may know of this, but uh, you should so because So because you're dealing with, I don't mean this in a, in a I mean this in a Bukovitika sense, you know, there's no I in team. Because we have a little baseball now, we can have some baliatosis. Uh, you, sh- you should get me to tell you how Rabbeinu Tamari and Rashbi Shans Lahavdal can be linked to Babe Ruth, uh, Lou Gehrig, and Joe DiMaggio. It works out perfectly. According to their numbers, according to their abilities, maybe we'll do that later. But anyway, I don't know if everybody's a baseball fan like I am. But in any case, uh, that was also part of Yeshiva in my day. Rabbi Lichtenstein was the greatest baseball fan ever. He was already there at Sorrow, but he was unbelievable. He knew every stat by heart because he knew everything else by heart. In any case, um, you have to realize that it didn't happen, but Tosfas didn't happen, I think, as people realize, over a long weekend somewhere. Uh, the earliest Balihat Tosfas, Rabbeinu Tam Ri, oh, some claim that Rabbeinu Tam was more of a thinker and Ri was more of a writer, Ulai, but Rash Mishans, or Shimshim Mishans, really a student of the Ri who made Aliyah actually in 12, 10, 12, 11, towards the end of his life, he put together what we would call the basis of the Tosfas of Rabbeinu Tam and the Ri. There are other Talmidim of the Ri who did it, but he really put a basis out. So you have uh, 12th century Tosfas Rashmi Shans in northern France, but then as you move across northern France in the 13th century, you get a series of further iterations. Rebutus Sirleon was also a Tam of the Ri. He died in 1224 in Paris. There are Tosas from Yehuda Sirleon, uh, 
printed to Masechus Brachas is his, printed to Megillah is his, but Tosas Rebut Achoset to Brachos is not that Rebut Achoset. Might have, could have, perhaps, but it's Rebut Asilion. Why they called him Achoset is a different story. Long story, not for now. Then you go through that century and you start to get other collections. For example, uh, there's a group of uh, Chachamim brothers called the Brothers of Evro, not to be confused with the Brothers Grimm. Chachme Evro. The father's name was Schneer. Some say, interesting, that's equivalent to the you know, European senor, you know, the altar, but interesting. Uh, Reb Moshe of, uh, of Evro, his brother Reb Shmuel, Reb Yitzchak. Um, very important base matters. Rabbeinu Yonah learned there, which explains a lot of things about Rabbeinu Yonah. Again, a side discussion. Uh, they produce Tosvis and Shitas Evro, which, again, have not been published separately, but there are these layers. There are these rivadim. That's the best word. As you go into the 13th century, then Rebbe Leezer Tosfus Tuch. That's perhaps the most famous Tosfus. Tuch is a machloket hachokrim. Most assume he's a German. Turchheim, Tuchheim, something like that. Fessel Urbach, Shalom assumed he was a Frenchman, Tux. But be that as it may, he took French material. He apparently spent some time in France as well. He had French rebeam, German rebeam. He took the early material and put it out his way. Most Masechtas, most Masechtas of printed shots are Tosfus Tuch. So this is all happening, and it's not clear that every collection knew everything that came before it. There are plenty of cases where there is some correspondence, you know, and others where you can see that things moved, but it doesn't always move in a straight line. Go further. Tosus Rabbeinu Peretz. Rabbeinu Peretz died in 1297, very end of the 13th century. So just to name the top three or four, you have all these kvatsim. In certain masechtas, every one of these collections could be operating in terms of the printed Tosus. Not all of them, but many of them. And there are others. There are individual balayat Tosus. Uh, the Re son Rebbe Chonon Tosus, to Avodah Zorah we know, other masechtas. Uh, Rebbe Shmuel Falez. Uh, who's around the time of the Brothers of Evro, also in Normandy, in western, northwestern France. Uh, Masech Zavodazara has a piece from him. So you have to always be, one should be or can be cognizant of these different layers. That will explain why the hardest part of Tosfis is when you transition from one part to the next. Right, if I'm reading the Rambam, that's say for halach, it's not a Tosfus, but I know the Rambam's in charge of every word. If I'm reading Chidushe Harashbo, Chidushe Haritvo, Rashbo's in charge, Ritvo's in charge, they're very easy to read. You know, you can go, I mean, meaning you can go from one line to the next, and it, there are very few lines that don't follow, and probably your fault if it doesn't follow. Tosfus to go from one point to the next is not always so simple. That's why yeshivas, they teach Gemara Rashi Tosfus, because if you can learn Tosfus, you can certainly learn a Rashboa. Right? The Ramban is more complex for certain reasons. But basically, Tosfus, you have to know it's a team effort, and the result is that you have to be aware that the printed Tosfus, for example, sometimes are shorter than the fuller editions. For example, I'll give you one more example, not to confuse. Tosis Rash Mishans, called the Rash Boa, but it's not that Rash Boa. It's Shimshon ben Avram Mishans. The Masechus Ksubis. The printed Tosfus have a lot from Tosfus Shans, the Ksubis. The Tosis Rash Mishans, the Ksubis, is much more expansive. I don't mean therefore automatically clearer, but you'll get more Hezber because the original long, long text had more things that Rashmi Shantz himself wrote. Now what you're going to be missing is what came after Rashmi Shantz. So you gain something, you lose something, so to speak. Um, but that's that's how it works. And that, of course, also raises the question, except for Rabbi Yezim 
who according to most was a German, uh, these are French Tosfis. And that's true. The vast majority of the printed Shas Tosfis are French. There are a few things that are German. Tosfis to Masecha Sota is German. Quotes Rabbeinu Tam and Ri, but quotes a number of German Balei HaTosfis. Uh, some are Misha'er, that the editor, one of the main, when I say editor, this is not like a book editor that he waves at it. He's also player manager, so to speak, to use the sports analogy. He's learning the Tosfis, he's writing down the Tosfis, he's putting together the Tosfis. He's doing it all. Some suggest he's Baruch of Magensa, who died in 1221. Uh, there are a few other Tosfos, Yishonim, that may be German, but there were German Tosfis. Many of them were lost. Many of them were lost, probably because the French ones were so good. As the French, the French won the won the battle of the Tosfis, if you will. The Germans wrote Sifrei Halacha. But you have. I'll give you just one example, and then I'll let you ask me more. Um, we have from Moshe Taku. Moshe Taku is a name that some of the listeners might know. He wrote a very unusual Sefer called Tav Sov Tamim about the nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where he seems to be talking in very anthropomorphic terms, and he has problems with the Rambam, he has problems with Yachosid, he has problems with Ibn Ezra, problems with all kinds of other figures. So people think he was some kind of Baal Machshava. He was, but he was a Godel in Regensburg. He was the Rav of Regensburg. He's quoted in Sefer Zeru and elsewhere as a major resource in Halacha. We don't have, except for Chuvis Povisham, all of his Chuvis. We have Piyutim from him too, a few. Um, he uh, wrote Tosfis in Regensburg that got lost, that, you know, that got ruined. So, and there are, there are 20 other examples. Sometimes they refer to in Shita Mikubetzis to a particular Masechta. Sometimes they'll refer to in other later sources. But the French generally wrote Tosfis and fewer Sifrei Halacha, French Balea Tosfis. Obviously, Ramosha Mikutsi, Sefer Mitzvah's Godel, is a major exception. Rabitzah of Corbeil, Sefer Mitzvah's Cotton is an exception, but that's already later, late 13th century. The Germans wrote more Sifrei Halacha, Sefer Ra'avon, Sefer Ravia, that are Tosfis-like. Some say, why call them Balea Tosfis? They didn't write Tosfis. First of all, they did. Most of them, many of them, they're lost. But they do Tosfot-like things, Tosfis-like things, in their Sifrei Halacha. Right, so I'll get to the actual practical differences between Tsarfas and Ashkenaz a little bit in, right. in a second, but nope. in a little later. But there were the two of the most famous Balitaisa later on ones were German, and Marami Rothenberg and Tzarash. Oh. On the end. Right. So so here's what you have to so there, there's a reason for that. Very good. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's that's your job. They ask me leading questions. Very good job. You did it very well. So Marami Rothenberg, Taka, uh, uh, an, an Ashkenazi through and through. His Hanhogis are Mibnei Ashkenaz. He's got connections to Hasidic Ashkenaz, right? I don't want to call him a Yeke, but because it may be the wrong term. In a, he was German. However, where did Marami Rutenberg learn? The record will show that even though he did learn in Würzburg, he did know some Rebbeim in Germany. He learned with Rabbi Achiel of Paris, in Paris. Charlie Sufa Boesh, he was in Paris. He learned with Rav Shmuel of Falaise, perhaps not in Falaise, but in a place called Chateau de Thierry. And he learned with Rav Shmuel of Evro. So his Tosfus Teira is Torah Tzarfat. Even though he then blends it with uh, German uh, uh, Minhagim. And I'll go a step further. Um, one of my colleagues, Simcha Manuel, pointed out very well, there's a big gap in Germany. Within the 1220s and 1230s, a series of four or five really outstanding German Balayatosfes slash Chachmei, uh, Tershabalpeh, whatever you want to call them, were nifter. 
Rabarach of Mainz dies in 1221. The Ravia dies in 12, around 1225. Reb who I like to call the greatest German balaposis that nobody kind of ever heard of a lot, died in 1230. Reb of Worms dies in 1230. The next real Godel in Germany is Marami Rutenberg, who dies in 1293. And where does he learn? In northern France. He had a kind of a, a Rebbe, he was his Talmud Chavah, Rebbe Yehuda Friedberg. Where does Rebbe Yehuda learn? In northern France. Rebbe Yitzhak Orzarua was one of the first Rebbeim, but he was very young. He doesn't quote him that much. It's interesting. They, he may have been less than Bar Mitzvah, the way I calculated. Very young. He learned by the Orzarua. Orzarua was born probably in a Slavic land, what he calls Eretz Canaan. He came to learn with Rebbe Simcha Mishpira. He came to learn with the Ravia in Germany, but then he went to learn with Rebbe Yehuda Sirleon in Paris. Why all of the excitement to go to France? Because of Rabbeinu Tam and Ritora. So when Rabbeinu Tam was alive, the Germans went to him. Rabbeinu Tam had 15, at least, 15 great French Talmudim. He had 15 great German Talmudim. Ri already has all French Talmudim because there were German Talmudim Rabbeinu Tam who came back to Germany and taught his method. That kind of petered out. When that petered out, the Germans started going back to France. So Maram is a French Balhatosphus. says a number of people pointed this out. He's a French Balhatosphus in terms of Lomdus, but in terms of what I'll call Piutim. He's a German uh, Hasidus. He's a German Hanhogos. He's a German. And the Rosh, of course, was his Talmud. So whatever the Maram had, he lived in Germany 50 years, the Rush, before he went to Spain. So whatever the Maram had, the Rush had. So you're right, they're German, but they have a tremendous amount of French material too. The Mordechai is an interesting point. The Mordechai is another Talmud of the Maram, as is the Hagos by Manos. They know French and German. Mordechai has both. Our impression is he has more new German things than French, but felt it kind Tarat Sarfat as well, to mix several languages incorrectly together. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. okay, but I think it's put down very well. So, how do we how do we see the practical differences between Sarfas and Ashkenaz, the German and 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 French, you know, Balitaitis and the the Svarim and the and the Titus right. that we have from them? Right. right. So, so the first difference is what I mentioned. It's it's more form than than well, it's form and substance. But in other words, when you open up Sefer Ravia. The Ravia is going kifiyama sechtos, although he also has shahos and shuvis, he also has, you know, inyanim v'iyunim in different parts of the sefer, but he has plenty on mesechta in, mesechta out, and he interacts with Rabbeinu Tam's material he had, re a little bit less, but he certainly interacts a lot with all of his German contemporaries, the ones that I mentioned, uh, his father, Rabbi Yoel Halevi, uh, the Torah of River Fahim of Regensburg, who learned with Rabbeinu Tam, right? But it's done in more of a Sefer Halacha form. Uh, I have a theory, which I've talked about a little bit, that it sounds a little, it's going to sound a little bit um, mathematical, but it's not meant to be. What we call dialectic, comparing sugyas and resolving them. I would like to suggest, and perhaps Professor Tashma suggested this before, I may be stealing it from him, but I, I always steal from very good people, um, from the rough on down. Um, he always got from the best. Um, um, uh, the French dialectic was somewhat more 
uh, I don't want to say avant-garde, but somewhat more, I don't want to say frisky either, somewhat more active. The German dialectic was a little bit more matun. That's a better way to say it. A little quieter. But Ra'avon knows how to do dialectic. Uh, and sometimes you close your eyes, you listen to Rabbeinu Tam, you listen to Ra'avon. Ravio too. But generally speaking, the German dialect is a little bit more matun. And of course, the Tosis from northern France has Vakaimalon, we paskin like this day, we paskin like that day. But they're obviously not paskining as consistently or as, to- I don't mean consistently in terms of ikviut, I mean as frequently or as total, in total of fashion, as the Germans do. So there is a difference in surah. You have to really come, uh, you know, Sefer HaTruma, written by the Reis student, uh, Rebaruch Ben Yitzchak, who never lived in Worms, apparently, as everybody thought before. He was a Frenchman. Basically, that's the Riz Torah in Hilchas Shabbos, the Riz Torah in Hilchas Gitten. It's like, I'll give you the halachic punchlines of these shiurim. So it's, again, it's as much lumdus as it is halacha. The first real safer halacha in northern France is the smog, Ramosha Mikutsi, who had a reason to write it. He wants to also, it's a very high-level safer, but it's also to bring people back, as he says. So it's high-level French Tosfus Torah. It's also very direct halachic material. It, he's also the first Frenchman to really quote the Rambam, but he has a reason for that. He wants it to go well in Spain, where he preached as well. So the smog is somewhat of a sui generis work. You might say, Sefer Yerem Metz, Talmud Rabbeinu Tam, and a fan of the National League, Lahavdul. Anyway, Blazov Metz, uh, first of all, learned, uh, was in Mainz teaching. He's got a lot of connections to Germany. He was the Rebbe of Reblaz Mivorms, the Rebbe of the Ravia, taught a lot of Germans. So I'm not sure he's so French. And the Sefi Yerayim is, in any case, a very unique work. So the French come to Halacha later, or Halachic, say it better. They come to Halachic works later. The Germans started out, but the Germans pick up Tosa's form too. So that's a major difference in terms of what I'll call form. In terms of Lundis, it's a very interesting thing. I like to tell my students, anybody who sees no, no cases where you have French Balehatosfis in learning, in learning a sugya, the French all hold this way, the Germans all hold that way. I'll give you an example in a second. Anybody who sees no difference between France and Germany is missing a lot. Anybody who thinks that every time the Balehatosfis argue, it's between France and Germany is making a big mistake. In other words, in I would say the majority of cases, French Balehatosis and German Balehatosis will take the same positions. They'll be Machmirim, they'll be Mekilim, they'll be those who suggest X in the Sugi, they'll be those who suggest Y. But there are some famous cases and some less famous cases, for example. But this is an obvious one. Heating the house on Shabbos. And can you tell the non-Jewish maidservant to do it? Big Machlok is explicitly between Sarfatim and Chachmei Ashkenaz. However, there's a simple reason for that. The heating system in the houses in Germany were different from the heating systems in the houses in France. So that's a matter of Metzias. But you'll find anything from Bittel Shiduchim. What do you have to pay if you break the Shidduch? And the answer is a lot. But there were certain formalities in northern France that didn't exist in Germany and vice versa. And you can chart them. Uh, how you tie the cash, the Tfilin, uh, um, uh, uh, tfilin Shell Yad. You have, I, I can list you a whole bunch of things. Even in learning itself, I'll give you an example. Megillah, uh, I'm sorry, Nozir Daf Dalit. I don't want to complicate it too much, but interesting question. If somebody takes a neder to be a Nozir, what about Kiddush Friday night, right? So the Gemara has an interesting phrase 
about Kedusha Mavdalta, is it Misenai, right? In other words, so the two ways to learn it. You can learn it as a question mark, right? Is drinking the wine Minhatora? No. Many Rishonim hold that only saying the Kiddush Friday night is Torah, either drinking the wine or having the kosova, that may be Midirabonan. So that's one way. Mushbava Omid Maharsinai is the exact lush of the Gemara. It doesn't say Sinai. It does. But Mushbava Omid Maharsinai, are you, are you commanded from Sinai not to drink the wine, to, that you must drink the wine? No, you're not. So when the Nozim makes a nether to not drink wine, so he won't drink the wine. It's not a, not a problem. The Rabonan will allow his nether Naziris to overcome their requirement. The other approach says you read it. Flat, right? Oh, when Nazar makes in the Gemara for a while, according to this approach, when the Gemara uh, says, Mushbava uh, Omid Maharsinai, the Gemara says, wait a second, when a Nazar accepts a zero, he has to drink the wine. He's, he's by definition excluding the wine Friday night because he can't go against that mitzvah, right? If you look carefully, all Frenchmen read it with a question mark. All mentions with flat. Ah, you'll tell me Rashi was flat, and Rashi was a Frenchman. So you might say, well, learn to Germany. And you'd be right about that. The better answer is that Rashi to Nazareth, we have at the point, even before that, is no Rashi. It might well be one of his sons in law. It's clearly somebody who learned Germany. So everything works out. Um, it works out uh, 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 very, very. It all works out very, very well. So you can literally learn sugyas according to the phrase. Again, if you try to do every sugya like that, you'll come into a uh, you'll have a terrible problem. But if you if you at least are open to that possibility, you'll have some interesting solution. Right, very, very, very interesting. So let's just, uh, as a side, but I think it's Negei here also. Were there other Balitaisis besides France and Germany? Obviously, everybody knows that the example of Taisis Rid was Italian, but was he right. quote unquote? I know he's called Taisis Rid, and why did he differ so much? What's the story there? So the Tosfus Rid is a very interesting case as follows. Rabbi Shai the Trani, Professor Tashbaum wrote a series of biographical notes found in his Knesset, Karim, Volume 3, which is on Italy. It's, it's got about 50 pages by that appeared there that he put together. Oh, that was put together. Uh, actually, that was put together. But it was all his stuff that was written up. Um, the Rid moved around. He left Italy. He probably went first to Eretz Israel. Then he made a beeline lechora, back to the Rhineland, to Germany, where he learned with Reb Simcha Mishpira. Not everyone, but it seemed to be the case. When he learned in the Rhineland with Reb Simcha Mishpira, exposed to Rabbeinu Tam's Torah that was back, brought back to the Germany by some students, including a certain Ramosha Tarkoin of Mainz, who people don't know about, but it was a great Torah. And so, and then, eventually he goes back to Italy, and the second part of his career, he's in what's called Byzantium, Romaniote things, and there's a lot of history to be written there. Somebody wrote many years ago an interesting book, but it really has to all be done more carefully. So, you know, his blue period, his green period, his earlier period, he was in Ashkenaz, and even though being an Italian, he does know Ram, he does know Spanish things that Ashkenaz he has a lot of Torah that manifests itself in obviously Tosas Harid which even though it's different than Tosas, because again, he's coming from a different place he's playing off a lot of the same a lot of the same first of all, Rashi is called Hamoreh the Rebbe 
not the Kuntras, not the Rabbeinu Shlomo, Erhaltzuch von Rashi. The Rid is very critical of his predecessors. He says it's all based on the Gemara. Rashi is his favorite. He'll argue with him too, he'll try, but the Rebbe can very rarely Rid's argument because he's basically a good beggar. He's coming, you know, he's a, not a Baal Tshuva but he's coming, you know, he's not coming from, I don't mean that barely, he's coming from a different place, but he gets that method. He also wrote an unbelievable parish, Ahomish, called Namuke Rabbi Yishaya. Namuke Rid, uh, again, quotes mainly Ashken, uh, French and German sources, and looks like uh, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, who's the French Palatos Rabbi Yosef of Orléans, of Orleanish. Um, in fact, there's a Ketaviyad, a fuller version, which is really a combination of the two of them. It's Mimino. So the Rid is a non-Ashkenazic-born figure who spends a lot of time in Ashkenaz, which will explain a lot about Tosus Rid, which still needs more work. It'll explain Laskar Rid. Laskar Rid is also very Ashkenazic on the parish on Chomish for sure. Sefer Hamachria is more of an all-around written layer. And his Chuvis, first of all, he had a hit cut foot. He wrote back and forth with the Orzarua, right, of, of Vienna, of, of German France and Vienna. So he's got contact with him. They talk about Ashkenazic Torah all the time. So he's really a kind of an international correspondent. One of the interesting problems there were Chachamim in Italy before the Rebbe. I mean, obviously, the Kolonimites, Mishpachas Kolonimus, who started off pre crusaders are from Italy. But that's the early period. You know, that's the, the Ursprung. So they didn't necessarily continue, although the family did continue in Germany. But there are other people, for example, the Ravon has a son-in-law, not Rabbi Yoel Halevi, but somebody who's called Rashbat, or better, Rashevet, or Rashvat, Rabbi Shmuel Barnatronoi. Rabbi Shmuel Barnatronoi learned in Italy in the 12th century, comes to Germany, has contact with Rabbi Tom. So I tell students, lot to write yet in Italy to try the dots. Now we go further. The Rid had a student who never met him, called himself Talmidob in Haktavim, that's the Shiboli Haleket. Shiboli Haleket, Sidkiel Barabarom Harofe, dies in 12C. He's got material from Provence, he's got material from Spain, but he's got a lot of Ashkenazic material, an old Ashkenazic material. I suspect a lot of that from the Rid, too. Plus, there's one other figure, Rabbi Victor Katz of Vienna, successor of the Orzarua in the Rav, but another student of Simcha Mishpira. Spent plenty of time wandering around Italy too. He taught in Ferrari. He was in Rome. Alec quotes him. He has German Torah. He's originally born in northern France. So there are a number of these foreign correspondents who float around. And I would say that explains a lot of the Rid. I'll just give one example. The Rid on Tosfus and Kedush and Tosfus in several places will ask, why, why does the Torah say, Kashert Siva Oso Elohim, that Avram Mal Yitzchak on the eighth day, uh, as God commanded him? Uh, uh, you know, why did I say Oso? Oso Velo Oso. The man is Mechuyiv, not the woman. Why not? Satosphus has all kinds of terutsim. It has a face terrace where he says, because it's not a mitzvah sasei man grama, because it's an o'clock mitzvah, and therefore the, the woman has to be specifically. Eliminated. The Achronim uh, says that's the Ramban. My point is, 
it's like a lumdash Tosfus answer, which Tosfus doesn't give. So it's an answer which, you know, the other Baliatos is also a Ephraim of Regensburg, who says that I need a special mute women because mute is an SHEHBOKARES, that's in Megillah, Tosfus and Megillah. Bali the Rebbe has this special answer. Again, it's their question, it's their, but he had his own So, yes, he's a Balatos, but with an asterisk. You know, he, does, he, he really is a special Balatos. Right. By the way, you're fading a little bit. Short. I should ask me more. Go ahead. You're fading a little in and out. I don't know if you're near your Wi-Fi. Oh, Maybe that's why. Let me Maybe see. I'm a little closer. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. How's this? <laughs> that's a little better. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're fading a little in and out over there. It also says my power's running Are you there? Okay. All right. I hope better now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Hopefully, your pat will not lose you. Well, I'm here a lot. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. We'll wait. Okay. Let me let me plug in somewhere to make sure. No problem. I'll talk a bit for, for a minute in here. Okay. Yeah. So, so periscope can uh, use the battery uh, while while it's uh, running. Um, for everybody else, you mentioned Nimukerid, Nimukerichai, and Chomish. It was just a new that's included with in Rav Shavel's um, um, what Reino Chanan on Chomish from Masada of Kok. But there's a new edition. I think using new manuscripts was just put out in the Rav Moshe Phillips Chomish uh, called the Chomish like Mafarshi Rashi. It came out uh, six months a year right. ago. As well, so right. he, he did a new edition. Do you see that? Which is this? Tell me again. Rabbi Philip, who put that old Mafarshi Rashi on Chumash, he put out a whole Chumash compiling all of his farm together, and he included in there for the first time a new edition of the Nemukirid. I saw it. I saw it. Question is, I didn't check to see which Kitfeyata used. Now, Rabbi Shell did the Nemukirid. He thought the same Not that there's so much proof that the Ramban used him, but Ramban knew Balayat also quite a bit. Uh, no proof about the Rid himself, but that's something from a Paris Ktaviad. There's another Breslau manuscript, I think there's some interesting. As I said before, there's a Moscow manuscript that I pretty convinced there's not all red. That might be the original red. I think it's more of an combination. Do you hear me? You hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now you're pretty good. I'll, right, now you now we know. hear you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll good. let you know if we don't. Okay. So let, I want to get I want to get the question that we really like didn't really discuss. Someone had asked. I know it's a bit late in the show. But we may as well ask it. How did the volunteers develop their method and how did it progress throughout the uh, centuries? We didn't really discuss that so well. So this, so this is a very interesting question, and of course, here yeah, there's a tremendous machlok and what I think about what they said. So basically, has him approach. He says that the Balatosis uh, got their quote-unquote method from the Amroim, and that method was not complete. But if you look at the uh, and this is not all of this. I don't 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 blame him for all of this, but. Own him are aware of this. They don't want to resolve all those sugis. They work with the main sugis and they want this needed. 
constantly, obviously, comparing and contrasting and, and doing those comparisons. So Presso says, it's a return to Rav. You know, Rav or Rami, whether it's with Pesukim, whether it's with Sukis. The interesting question, and that's certainly very, very possible. So in other words, it's sort of Chadesh and Yafikadem. The promise of somebody said I'm breaking. Is that true? A little, a little bit. I would ask. Let me ask you. Know, my phone is usually so. A little bit. Do you have your Wi-Fi on? You one second. A little bit. Are you What's near that? your Wi-Fi router? Are you near where your Wi-Fi is? No, 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 no. You should be near it. That's probably why you're breaking down. Oh, okay, okay. So, what's that? Now I can't hear you. Now I can't hear you. Are you back? Yeah. Very, very, very poor. Very, very poor. No, go next to the, go close to the Wi-Fi. Go near the Wi-Fi. Oh, you want me to go? Oh, go near the Wi-Fi. You're Okay. I just want you to make the first, Yeah, the further away you go from the Wi-Fi, the person will get. Sorry, everyone. Okay. Go closer. All right. Okay. Okay. No, it's still going. It's still tapping. It's still tapping in now. Try again. Try. Come off the full screen. Hang up. Hang up, and I'll reconnect you. Hang up, hang up, and I'll stay here and I'll reconnect you. Maybe that'll be helpful. Okay, yeah, I'll reconnect you. Okay, and I'm I'm gonna go back to. Okay, okay. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, everyone. We'll try to get him. I know that the sound's been chopping in and out. I'm trying to get it as, as good as possible. Sometimes it does this. It could be I guess you went away from the Wi-Fi by mistake instead of going closer to the Wi-Fi. Uh, we'll try to get it better. I hope everyone's enjoying so far. And sorry for the technical issues um, over here. Um, by the way, once we're on the topic of Tzitzit Rid, I should just throw in once I'm waiting for him to get back on. The nicest edition is the two-volume green one, Machon Marava. Masada Cook started, they did Kedushin by Rabdav Metzger. It was a very nice job. And then they did like three other volumes, I think on Mayid, a few years ago. They're like, yeah, the job's not like so super impressive. Um, then they just stopped. I don't know. They haven't put anything out in a few years. I'm not sure what the deal with that is. Um, let's see if he, we can get him back on properly now. Okay, you're back. How's it now? Okay. It sounds good. Start talking. <laughs> okay. So the problem is, the interesting problem is, there are two things that go on around the time that the Bali Hatosfas gets started that you can't ignore. One of them is Lahavdil, the Christian use of dialectic. Um, uh, you have the cathedral schools. You have to make a long story short, there's a shift from monastic study, monastic study in the monasteries, they read, right? Uh, what's called collatio, just collated all. And in fact, if there were any contradictions in the monastic reading, they told them, just keep reading, keep remembering. Remember the steer is also. Okay. 
Um, that's issue number one. And basically, in the mid-11th century, Code of Justinian, you also have it not just by theologians, by cathedral people, but also by um, uh, um, somebody like Graydon in, in France. So the have any impact. So we would say, you know, but there's something else that goes on here. In the late 11th century, in Worms, Dafke, not in Mainz, but in Vermeiza, there's evidence for comparing sugis. For example, that Nazir Dav Dalid, if you look there, you'll see that that Rashi, who's not Rashi, asks a steer from Dav Dalid in Nazir to a Gemara later in Nazir. Not from Masechta to Masechta, but within Masechta's Nazir. So, again, Tofazo Meret Darsheni. So my solution, which I wrote about actually in my first book, um, uh, and I've rewritten it a little bit, is, so Urbach, in his Rebbeiatosis, thought that the Christian parallel was significant. Not else from Okay, just out, right? Bologna, the great uh, legal school of the Christians, is in Italy. It's France. It's you know, Gratian was not so well known. That you know, they didn't have certain things about Gratian. So he really got clobbered. Also, um, uh, somebody like Abelard, Peter Abelard, is doing biblical sick at none. He wrote a book called Yes and No. It's basically steers and chumish lahavdil. Uh, you know, Corbonos. Why here? It's this number, and why there? It's that number. Um, but that's Bible. That's not. That's not law. Anyway, so in his second. Orbach played it down. It was in the first chapter originally in Baleatosis. It came to page 717 or something in the second edition. Put it in the back of the bus. Um, and, and some of the people who criticized him were very important. My own suggestion is the following. Where they got it from in Worms, I don't know. I, I can't say. Again, I don't want to say they got it from the Christians necessarily. And also Worms and the Christians are around the same time. So it's, it's harder to say they got it. By the way, if they got any idea about it, Jews and Christians talked. Again, what I call big ideas. The Jews are not asking the Christians, how did you read your line in your theological treatise? Because the Jews didn't read Latin. But if Jews or Christians are talking about... Um, um, yeah, somebody's asking about discussing scholastics. I am. If somebody asks... Uh, how did Jews know what Christians are doing? They did business together. They didn't just fight about uh, verses with each other. They talked about other things, big ideas, you know, comparing divergent texts. So if you take a big idea, which doesn't depend on your reading the text, right? The Jews don't have to read a word of Latin or a word of the Christian texts. And you understand that one of the yeshivas in pre-Crusade Germany is doing this. The fact that it becomes, by the way, Yeshiva Rabbeinu Tam's father, Rashi studied there, but Rabbeinu, uh, Rabbeinu Tam and Rashbam's father was a Talmud there. So there's a lot going on. And again, Fresalvechik is not obviously not wrong. The Gemara itself makes comparisons. So what you what you need here is not to go from zero to sixty. You don't have to go from no dialectic to tremendous dialectic. You have to go from Talmudic dialectic. Some involvement of Jewish learning in that, some awareness of what's going on around. You know, it's like Reb Chaim. They talk about Hegelian method in Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim met Hegel like I met the man on the moon. But again, it's, you know, zeitgeist that's floating around there. So there's enough floating around in these several different circles to explain not why there was no dialectic and now it's all over the place, but how one part of one yeshiva in Germany in the century 
all of a sudden in northern France and in Germany in the 12th century becomes paramount. So I've written about this in, in, in my uh, uh, last book, The um, Intellectual History uh, and Rabbinic Culture of Medieval Ashkenaz. Um, you have to just be careful. In other words, take take what Jews could have learned from the Christians, take what they know in Vorms in the late 11th century, however they got it, take the Talmudic background, and that will help to explain, you know, why Rabbeinu Tam, in his brilliance, and others uh, said, let's, let's be marchiv. But also, by the way, I must add, the first step in Tosis is not dialectic. The first step is close critical reading, right? Lectio. By the way, lahavdil, lectio, dialectio, right? Now, first you read, then you think about it, then you, and then you make comparisons. This is almost a natural process. So I think if you look at all the things around, you have an idea of how to put it together in the proper, um, you know, in the proper uh, uh, measure, if you will. Uh, also, by the way, who is the first Balhatosis? You know, who is the Lahavdil George Washington of the Balhatosis? So the answer probably is not Rabbeinu Tam. I mean, Rashbam's brother is a little bit older, but not Rabbeinu Tam. The first Balhatosis, most people think, it's Machloket Achokrim, was Rabbeinu Asher Hazoke in Halevi Mishpira, right? Riva of Spire, who dies in 1133. According to the later Rakanati, on very interesting tragic circumstances, he was told to eat Yom Kippur and he didn't listen, and Nebuchadnezzar was nifted. But in any case, that we can't verify, but uh, he was a godel, but he behaved like a godel, he behaved uniquely. Um, in any case, he really was the first Balhatosis, a German. He was from Spira. Right. Although he, before that, he was in, in, in what's called Cologne and in Worms. So, again, you didn't have to be French necessarily, but this is what was going on. So but, but once he's finished, his students leave the Riva, leave the Riva and they go to Rabbeinu. So Rabbeinu, Rabbeinu Tam's Talmud, the Rivom, Rabbeinu Tam's Talmud, Rabbeinu of Regensburg, they all have learned with this Rivom Spira. So, again, you get a lot of collective uh, work together, and that's how the method comes out. Interesting. Uh, so when does the Tkufa of the Balitosis end? Like, give a year, a number on that? And also, a question yes. along with that is, is there a difference between the earlier and the Balitosis, later Balitosis, and how do we see that manifested in their writings? Right. So as far as the, the end date, um, look, Marami Rutenberg arguably is the last German Balatosis, never mind his French background, and again, and his Talmudim. So, you know, as I always tell my students, you know, nobody blows a whistle and says, end of the Balatosis out of the pool, now we're bringing in the later uh, Rishoni Ashkenaz. You know, it's hard to put an exact minute on it. Uh, uh, Marami Rutenberg dies in 12, 1293 in jail, right? His body remains in jail. Rabbeinu Peretz, his Talmud Chover, dies in 1297, even though some of his Talmudim continue the operations. That's one of the last French Tosfot connections. The Rush dies in Spain somewhere in the 1320s. It changes every week this year. I think this week, I think he's dying in 1325. Some weeks he dies in 1321. Doesn't matter. In any case, um, uh, so you know, if you say around 1300, you can't go too far wrong. Now, the difference is in some of the things that we've discussed, namely by the time you get to late 13th century France, French balayatosis are writing more Sifre Halacha. Germans are continuing to write Tosis. Professor Soloveitchik likes to suggest, and there is some merit to this for sure, 
that the 12th century of, uh, uh, certainly in France, was the creative century. That's the Rabbeinu Tam, that's the Re, that's the Rashmi Shans. The 13th century, uh, listen, you know, not in a negative way, but so who are your Balei Hatos in 13th century? Again, Moshe Mikutsi, Shmumi Falez, the brothers of Evro, uh, uh, the Smak, there are others, Rabbi Yitzchak of Corbey, there are others. So, you know, uh, his argument is that the, the real home hitters, so to speak, are in the 12th century, and the 13th century is more of a collecting kind of a century, which is anyway true, right? There's a... Um, uh, uh, Professor Tversky's, I'll quote it, so I allow myself to quote it. Uh, Arnold Toynbee, the historian Toynbee, is not somebody that I like to quote because he's got some very strange things about Jews, but there's a Beferish of Toynbee. He says a period of creativity is followed by a period of collection. So that's one of the ways to understand it. The other point is that the 13th century Bale Hatosfas, German and French, have a lot more to collect. You know, there's a lot more stuff for them to deal with from the Kadmonim. You know, if you're Rabbeinu Tam, there isn't that much before you. You're writing it as you go. Now in the 13th century, I have to worry about not just Rabbeinu Tam. I have to worry about his Talmidim, his colleagues. By the way, that's a wonderful way to explain. There's a famous uh, keta in the introduction of the Tzedel HaDerech. Tzedel HaDerech was written by um, uh, a Spanish Jew, lived in Toledo, was a Talmud of the Rosh's son, Rabbi Yehuda ben Arash. Um, he has a beautiful introduction. I recommend it to everyone. Great history of Rishonim. It's his way, but in about two pages, it's worth the read. He's the one who has the famous story of that the Re had 60 Talmidim in front of him. Each one of him literally memorized one Masechta. And basically, I'll paraphrase, the Re give this year, and he would say, all right, he would read a shura in the Gemara. He would say, okay, Mr. Bav Metzia, do you have any Gemara? You know, he's reading a shura in Chveis uh, Erevin. Okay, Mr. Bav Metzia, do you have a, any Gemaras for or against? Okay, Mr. Shabbos, okay, Mr. Psachim, and so on and so forth. At 60 Talmidim. From what I can tell, the absolute largest, first of all, you count up Rees Talmidim, you can come up with about 15, maybe 20, uh, yeah, you could come up with a few more. You can't come up with 60 total. 60 at one time would be schum anaki. That's number one. And number two, you have to understand, if you couldn't learn like a bal hatosis, you were not in those batei medrash or yeshivas, because what were you going to do? You're going to look at the walls. People wanted to be like the bal hatosis, but there was no, you know, there was no B class, C class. There was the class, and that was that was a sheer. So number one. Number two, the numbers just, I mean, maybe we know a hundred names in Tosfas total. Not all of them, as I say, Baliatosis. So, number one. Number two, if you do the research, again, I did this in my first book, I've repeated some of it. Um, the biggest yeshiva, Marami Rutenberg talks about, he had 24 mezuzahs in his house, it was a big house, including the porches for the summer, and the rooms for the bachrim, and so on and so forth. Basically, the yeshiva lived... If, if, some of them lived outside the Rebbe's house because there's reference to guys who are married and where they light candles and so on and so forth and not all their wives are necessarily with them but maybe you had 20, 25 in the biggest of these yeshivas, right? Um, the other ones were smaller. So the notion of 60 people in front of Re, you know, is is hard to imagine logistically Kfi uh, Professor Yaakov Katz, my Rebbe, had a great suggestion. He said, and it's like it says his father came from northern France, so he said he talked to people. It's 200 years after the Remore, 
right, when he's writing his words. He's writing in the mid-14th century. This the re is, dies in 1189 or 1190 somewhere. We're not exactly sure. It changed a little bit also. So, you know, it's not exactly a, an eyewitness account. Professor Kotz suggested, no, it's Lahav that I call it this. He didn't call it this. It's like the Wizard of Oz. It's that you have a very small number of people making believe that there are a million people. In other words, you look at Tosis, hey, there are 25, 30, 50, lots of people are floating around the Tosis. Yeah, why? Because Dor Aleph gave to Dor Beis. So Dor Beis has its own Torah. It has all the earlier Torah. By the time you get to Dor Dalit, it's geometric. You got seven tons of Torah, even though you've only got 42 people. So, so it's even though I we opened by saying that as opposed to the Rambam who wrote everything in his sefer, don't touch a word he wrote. The Balehatos is much more a collaborative, cooperative, manpower effort. It's not a. It's not. It's not the base marriage. Godel, and it's not why you. It's not hundreds of Talmudim. It's a very small number. Sachakol. Right. That's that, that that way. What you said is that's the way the Elohim Yeshiva is always uh, is always told that how the Balehatos developed. Interestingly, also. And that Chas Shalom can we say anything a little about Tesis, but you said like there's no ABC of the Baltasis, but the Ilam always jokes about the Tesis Kakami Anglia that uh, yeah, because you read it and whatever's published and in Mamish, I don't know. It's no, not so exactly Chachmei, so you have you have to know who Tosis Chachmei Anglia are. First of all, I have a fellow who did his master's means his doctorate in Israel, he's working more on Anglia now, and I'm sure he'll have more to say. Basically, uh, England I don't mean this badly, is a suburb of northern France, namely Norman Conquest, right? You get Jews going to England for business. Rabbeinu Tam's two Talmidim were killed there in the third, during the period of the Third Crusade. Rabbi Yom Tov of Joani, who was mentioned in Tosfis, Joani is in northern France, and um, uh, Rabbi Yaakov uh, Ben Shlomo of Orléans. Um, so some big Baleatosis went there, but the Tosachachme Anglia are their adaptation, their Kitsur of Tosis, right? Uh, in fact, that's originally how they found Tosachachme Angla with the Tosis, what uh, we call the Tosot Gvarnish, or some call it the Gornish, not the Gornished, right? Shorter Tosis, you know, again, kind of. I don't mean cliff notes, God forbid, in a negative way, but kind of shortenings. So Tosis Chachmei Angla should not be submitted as the you know, quintessential high point of Tosvot writing. Uh, you know, there I'd pick, you could pick Rosh Mishans, you could pick Rabbi Nasirio, you could pick Rabbeinu Peretz, although Rosh had kindness with the Tos Rabbeinu Peretz. He said the Rebbe was great, the Talmidim was shvach. The Rosh says in two places in his Chuvis that he didn't, and, and Tos Rosh is basically based on Tosas Rosh Mishans. He didn't hold so much from the Tos Rabbeinu Peretz because of the Talmidim. Meantime, because Ridvoy used Tos Rabbeinu Peretz, he had material that the Rosh Bo didn't have from the Valiatosis, the Ramban didn't have because they didn't have it yet. It was earlier. So uh, anyway, you have to know not not all the Tosfot are the same, and you have to know, um, you know, I guess one of the important points here is there's all kinds of Baleatosis material not in printed Tosis. For example, the Orzarua, when he learned in northern France, will quote straight things from Rashmi Shantz. Tosfus, some of them are expansions of printed Tosfus. Tos and Erevin about, again, people living in the house with the homeowner, the Malamed, the, there's a much better version sitting in the Sefer or Zeruah because he had Rashmi Shantz's original Tosfus. So if you're learning that sugya and you're stuck in that Tosfus, oh, that's not such a hard Tosfus, just open the Or Zeruah if you know where to look. It's not so easy to use, right? And Chahena V'chadome, you have all kinds of Tosfot material that's floating around 
never mind the Kitveyad, which is a whole other discussion, and not Kitveyad of Tosas, but in other words, Hagos Mordechai. You have all kinds of very rich Tosfot material. Now, if a person spends all day looking for these Kitveyad, they won't have too much time to learn. But, <laughs> but so that's part of what I get to do. Other people get to do it. I try to do both at the same time and drive myself a little crazy, but uh, <laughs> it's fun. Okay, so I think we should. I mean, I don't know how long you want to spend in here tonight, but we definitely talk all night. A lot of other topics we'll probably won't get to. So we'll try to a few more before we uh, end. Okay, the, you, rant, you, rant you rant. tell me. I'm at your disposal. I don't know if your people are still listening. If they're still listening, I'll talk. You tell me. I think, I think people are. So let's talk about something that you discussed, and you actually you have the act, uh, you have coming out in a forthcoming article in the uh, Sefer Yovel for Professor Schneider Weinman, who you mentioned earlier, yeah. which is the yeah. use the, the use of the lack of of the Rambam Balatalitosis. Right. So this is an interesting uh, uh, question and an issue because I think it shows a lot about how baleatosis use other things too as follows. People have written a little bit. Again, the facts are the, the, the specs the printed Shastosis quote Rambam two and a half times once Brochus on Brochachrona once in Menachus regarding Tefillin and once which Orbach originally said was the Rambam, Rav HaKovel in the Megillah Lamed Alpha Mabez. It's not, it turns out he, he had Harata. It's Reb, uh, uh, Meshulam of Malon, a protagonist or antagonist of Rabbeinu Tam. Anyway, the kids of the Ram is barely quoted in Tosfus, to make a long story short, in the printed Tosfus. Okay, by the way, open up Tosfus Harosh. He will, because he added things to the Ram, to, to the Tosas Rosh Mishans, especially when he went to Spain, or he knew he was going to Spain, right? He, he knew he was going out of Germany. Uh, he quotes the Rambam quite a bit more, but again, not all the time, but quite a bit more. Um, so, you know, Tofazo Omerit Darshani. The Rambam's Mishnah Torah was written in 1177-1178. Question whether he wrote at the end, you know, after Rosh Hashanah in November, December, or the following year, whatever the months were then. Um, but he tells us that in Hakdama. We know that it reached southern France by 1193-1194, Lemignonum, and yet you find that very few Bale Hatosfis cite the Rambam. You get a little bit the Rashmi Shans's brother cites the Rambam, the Ritzbah, about Brachachrona. In fact, many years ago, I had this school, a teacher of mine, a former teacher, came to me with a Geniza piece, which has the Rambam being cited. And he said to me, it seems to be Rebarach of Klison, uh, I'm sorry, Yosef and Barach of Klison, who tells us calls of Yosef Yishushalayim, he's quoting the Rambam. So we did the work. He was right, except for one thing. Why was Rabbi Yosef of Clisson quoting the Rambam? Because he was sitting in Eretz Soil, so he could quote the Rambam. Right? In northern France, he didn't quote the Rambam. The first one who obviously uses the Rambam extensively is the smog, but the smog has a very positive ulterior motive. Number one, he preached in Spain. He spent time in Spain. In fact, I published a letter. He may have tried to open up a Balchuva Yeshiva in Spain, literally. In any case, or on the way to Spain, he wants to cite the Rambam, first of all, for Rambam's presentational style, right? Similar to the Ram's approach there in many respects, not philosophically exactly, but in many ways. He also wants to speak to B'nai Svarad. You want to talk to B'nai Svarad and Halacha, you better quote the Rambam. Not that he didn't find interesting things, he did. So he's the first Frenchman to use it. And by the way, there are all kinds of smog associates who use it, uh, you know, sort of works that are more popular who also use it. Um, but Basically, and the smog dies around 1250, 1255. He writes the smog. He finishes the smog somewhere in the 1240s. So it's already 50. I mean, just because it's in southern France doesn't mean it's in northern France, but it's probably around for decades, and nobody's quoting it. In Germany, it's a little better. 
and this might be a split between France and Germany. Um, you know, uh, although it's still not great there. The first one who loves the Rambam, who really loves the Rambam, is the Marami Rutenberg. Right? He loves the Rambam. He quotes the Rambam all the time. In fact, as we just said, he's one of the last polyatosis. Although he has a great quote about the Rambam, he talks about the Rambam Sefer, about the Mishnah Torah. It's like the Urim Vitumim. Now, if somebody calls my book the Urim Vitumim, I want that on the back cover. It's not going to happen, right? However, calling something the Urim Vitumim is, you know, not such perfect praise. Why? Because if I ask you, how does the Urim Vitumim operate? You tell me. That's what the, Ram, the Maram was saying. How does the Mishnah Torah operate? How do we know how the Raman Paskin? It's a little bit of an istadik there because he didn't tell us his footnotes, which is always the Ashkenazi complaint, right? The smog at one point calls Mishnah Torah halom below poter. It's a dream, but I can't figure out how to work it exactly, right? So you like the Ravid says, better to put in footnotes. The Ram held not. He won, and that was it. In any case, so what happens in Ashkenaz? So the so. Professor Soloveitchik and others have actually written that the Orzarua, the Sefer Orzarua, uses the Rambam. And again, the Orzarua is roughly contemporary with Moshe Mikutsi. They both are with Rubius right? There's a French connection. But he, as he puts it out, he has a great quote, he doesn't engage him, right? In other words, the Orzarua mentions the Rambam, again, doesn't do much. Listen, it's 50 years later, you got to say something. So what I noticed, and again, we'll see what people think, but what I noticed is that. It's a little bit more complex than that. If you look at the Orzarua, and the Orzarua, my students, my doctoral students will tell you, we got to know all the Mordechais and all the Orzaruas. At least you got to try. That's what I spend my, you know, when I have nothing to do, I just reread Mordechai. You know, it's talking. Anyway, um, uh, Mordechais and Orzaruas, a steady diet. In any case, um, if you look at the Orzarua, what you'll notice is something a little bit different than, than just one speed. Um, the Orzarua quotes Mishnah Torah a lot, once in each area, what I call onesies, once in Hilchas Birkas Hamazen, once in Hilchas Psachim, twice in Hilchas Megillah, uh, go to Yeridea topic, same thing, Povisham. He'll quote him very infrequently, and so Professor Soloveitchik's characterization was very apt. He doesn't really engage him, you know. The Rambam was a model. They're aware of his book. Uh, they quote him a little bit, right? And by the way, the, why didn't they quote him? So people said, oh, it's the Maimonidean controversy, it's philosophy. Yeah, it's pretty hard to say. It might well be because the Rambam works differently than them, right? The Rambam picks sugis. He doesn't dialectically combine them all that much, although sometimes he does, but usually he picks which sugi he thinks controls the halacha. He also writes a safer halacha with, even though you can use the Rambam to explain many sugis of the Gemara, it's not a perush hatalmud, it's a safer halacha. So it's not their cup of tea exactly. That might be it. But what I noticed is that in three areas... The Orzarua quotes the Rambam a lot, two different words, a lot, namely, Hilchah Shabbos quotes the Rambam uh, 60, 80, tens of times. Also Rashi Ashas, which is interesting. If you're writing a Sefer Halacha, you know, nice to quote Rashi, but, you know, Rashi doesn't pass too many shilas on Shas. Hilchah Shabbos, Hilchos Gittenvagunos, he has a Hilchos Agunos, right? Hilchos Hilchos Agunos next to each other. I think there are 25 Simonim. In 12 of them, the Rambam is mentioned. That's a pretty good percentage. Um, and in the Prokim, uh, in the Piske Bav Metziah, also a little bit in Piske Sanhedrin, but Piske Bav Metziah, from Elu Metzias to 
um, um, uh, the fifth parak, Ezeu Neshach. And you have Dine Shomrim, you have Dine Ribis, you have all kinds of Dine Mominus there. And again, he quotes the Rambam a lot. An awful lot. And, and by the way, more than just quoting him a lot, if you look into it further, he dinzichs with the Rambam. He will sometimes agree with the Rambam. He will sometimes have a whole simon about the Rambam, you know, about the Ramshita. So this is, this is certainly engaging the Rambam in a significant way. So the question is, why? What's, what's so critical? By the way, I'll add, in light of our Rabbi Shai the Trani discussion, Rabbi Shai the Trani has the same thing. Tashma noticed that in his parish on Chumash, he quotes Moranavuchim a few times. It may not be as much as he thinks because it's a question which is his, but he quotes Moranavuchim. Wow. And yet, in all of Piskei Arid, I think Tulsa Arid too, but he only quotes the Rambam in one volume, Hilchas Shvuas, Nedarim and Shvuas, where he quotes the Rambam a ton. And again, he has whole simonim about the Rambam. To my mind, this may be the key to the whole issue of Ashkenazic citation and use in a larger way as well. What's true of these three areas? Why would we find the Or Zarua onesieing the, the Rambam, you know, politely citing him via mole in areas X, Y, Z, and all of a sudden here, in one place in Hilchus Gitten, he says, I think the Rambam is right against the Rashbam. In one place he says the Rambam went too far, but it was a nice try. I mean, it's unbelievable. The answer is, in Hilchus Shabbos, the Or Zarua is trying to create an Ashkenazic Hilchus Shabbos. Or Zarua is a big book. He wants some organization. What do you have in Hilchus Shabbos before the Or Zarua? You have the Sefer HaTruma, that Talmud of the Re. Very nice. You have a number of Hilchus Shabbos. It's basic halachis. It's not, you know, not something you can share with a little kid. You know, it's uh, just halachis povasham, you know, for Talmud HaChomim. What do you have in the, in the Sefer Yireim? Again, in Yonei Shabbos, the Orzuro wants to create, not Ovos and Toldos, you know, like Rav Shimon Eider, but in other words, a treatment of Hilchashah is comprehensive. I need the Rambam, the Rambam 30 Prokim, do that job. And I'll borrow Rashi too, because I'm doing definitions and concepts. Get me to Rashi, get me to Rambam. I have a beautiful Hilchashah. I'm selling it a little too hard, but a. Um, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, you know, it's a good way. To, it's it. He needs it. Huadinami in a slightly different way in the other two areas. Hilchos, Agunos, the Gitten. Ashkenazim thought the Ram was a Talmud Chacham. It just wasn't their. He was a big Talmud Chacham. It was a Godel. It just wasn't their style. But here I can use him. First of all, what's the Masora? What's the Ashkenazic Masora finding how to give a get that's kosher or how to save a get or how not to make the woman an aguna? Right? The answer is anything that works, I'll be halacha that you can figure out that's good, that works. So the Rambam is a bar hachi here. And so again, in that area, in Hilchus Kedushin, the Ram, the Orzarua, maybe he quotes him once, I forget, maybe he doesn't even quote him at all. We know how to do Kedushin and Ashkenaz, no problem. In Aguna, I'll take every help that I can get from any godel who will give it. Therefore, the Ram is quoted and praised and analyzed and discussed. Good methods. Bidome, similarly, very similarly, in Dine Mominus. Again, there's not an Ashkenazic way to paskin Hilcha Shomer, more a Sephardic way or a Ram, right? I have good svaras, right? Dine Mominus is a lot about giving good svaras that will comport with the halachic view. Here too, the Rambam has to offer, and that will explain Hilchus Shavuos and the Dharm and the Rid. The Rambam has a gisha between theory of Hilchus and the Dharm and Shavuos, and practically halachos. How do you uh, 
deal with them in halacha that nobody else has. So in a word, my argument is, the, and Professor Soloveitchik said this once in very brief form, but not with so many examples and not in this particular case, right? When it comes to Talmud v'halacha, the Ashkenazim, not Chassashon Begaiva, look at the Ramban. Ashkenazim are the greatest. They don't need anybody else's help except where they feel they do. And that really characterized their use. I'll give you one other example. Tosis quotes the Rivid, you know, the exception that proves the rule. Tosis quotes the Rivid, the, the Provencal Rivid, Rivid of Poskier, as Professor Tursky wrote about him so beautifully, right? And it was supplemented, Professor Leitch, and all this, um, a total of five times. That's it. I can go through all the five times, the printed Tosis. It comes down to about one and a half. This one is not the Rivid, it's a name from over here. Anyway, they don't quote him, they don't know from him. What's the matter with the Rivid, right? He's not writing a Sephardic code. He's not, you know, he, he, he doesn't do philosophy. I mean, what's the matter? It's got nothing to do with philosophy. It's got nothing to do with cults. It's, they, they don't need the Rivid's Torah. I don't mean that in a bad sense. <laughs> they don't need it too much. The Horaya, um, where the Ashkenazim Dafka quote the Rivid a lot, the Maram does it, I'll give it away, in his Hilchos Machos. Tosa Rosh quotes Rivid a little bit more. But 63 times, Tosa Rosh quotes the Rivid in Moed Cotton because there was a paucity of writing in Hilchas Avelis. There's a Ketan Sefer Hasidim. You should do it publicly. You shouldn't talk about it publicly. They need Hilchas Avelis. The Rivid wrote a great Hilchas Avelis. There they quote. So where we need you in Halacha we'll, and Gemara will quote you. If we don't need you, we'll be very polite. We won't quote you. The Nafkamina is the other way around. In Chumash, the Ibn Ezra, Tosis quotes him once or twice, though they don't like the Ibn Ezra. Not a Balaloche. On Chumash, Balayatosa, HaTorah, I don't mean just the collections of later Balayatosas, right? Uh, you know, later collections. I mean real Balayatosas. They quote the Ibn Ezra all the time. Professor Shrag Abramson wrote a wonderful five pages in the middle of an article about something completely else. That's the beginning of it. Tashma's written, I've written. They love the Ibn Ezra on Chumash. The Tosis Rid will quote the Moran of on Chumash. I have other later, if you go to Rabbi Dean Stegg's articles on the Rambam citation of Rambam Balayat Tosis that he wrote many years ago, it's all about Tosis on Chumash. Because if it's not in Gemara, we'll quote you. If it's Piyut, Rabbi Levi, they loved. We'll quote you. We'll use your method. We'll do whatever you want. Any area that they're not majoring in or that's not their main area, and I'm saying a very big thing here, but I, I think it's largely correct. All the audiences certainly, you could give my email. They can write me, and if they find exceptions, we'll talk about them. Right? If it's Gemara and Halacha, they are in charge, except they're intellectually honest. In other words, if they feel they can use the Ramam's help, they'll take help. May I have If it's another area in learning that they are not the, you know, miyazdim of that they're not holding the leadership position in that sense. Then they'll be more uh, open. So that's my that's my Rambam in the uh, or as a Ruah thesis. Yeah, the other thing you want to ask me is about the Ketzos. <laughs> Maybe out of time, huh? No, no, we're not out of time. You want to talk about that? So just interesting, just interesting. One of the other interesting areas here is the so-called lost Svarim of Baleatosis, right? The Rav talked about this in his keynotes. I've written about that. And my colleague, my good friend and colleague, Sipras Simcha Manuel in Eretz Royal, has published a lot of the Svarim about the Svarim Avudim. What's very fat, and again, why were these big German works lost, right? Sefer Achochmev Rebarach of Mainz, 400 and something Simonim. 
all we have is what the Mordechai quotes. Some people, others farm will quote it very little. Thank God for the Mordechai. In fact, the Mordechai saved a lot of these things. That became the grab big. That became the catch-all. Rabbi Ephraim of Regensburg, the Orzeroa quotes three times, Sefer Arba Panim. Right? Big Sefer Halacha. Maybe that's where Dina Degarmi came from or was associated with, which we do have. Rabbi Simcha Mishpir writes, Seder Olam, not historical, Sefer Halacha. Humongous. Uh, uh, Ephraim Kupfer published a lot of that, or some of that, not a lot, some in Chuvotu Psakim. Right? What happened? These big Sfarim got lost. In other words, I, I don't want to say it's all a matter of Mazel, but Sefer Tarsha Behechel. French Tosas were a lot shorter. They were associated with the Masechta by the printers. We're okay. And the Kisveyata also. You, you, how many pages in a Ketaviyata of a Tosas on a Masechta? 25, 30? Depends. Some a little longer. Right? Depends what Masechta. These humongous Sfarim got lost. Okay. Except that Mordechai quotes them. The Orzeroa knows a little bit about them. Trumas Hadeshin might know, and so on and so forth. Amongst the Achronim, many Achronim didn't deal with these things. The Shagas knows everything by heart. Everything printed that he had his hands on. Very rare, as far as I know, for the Shagas to tell you I found a Ketav Yad or to go look for something in that way. Uh, Pnei Yoshua, too, cites some very interesting Makaris, right? But again, you know, he has some very interesting Makaris that other people didn't know about, but he's not looking for that. Amongst the Achronim, there are two Achronim who went looking, or at least knew it. Maybe they didn't go looking, they just remembered it all. One is the Ktsos. The Ktsos knows that there's a Rebaruch of Sefer HaChochmah, there's a German Rebaruch, and the Ktsos knows there's Rebaruch and Tosas Erech and Davov, that's Rebaruch, the author of Sefer HaTruma. He knows, I don't mean so much who they are, he knows which Shita is whose, and he'll quote these kinds of things. He knows that if he wants to find an Or Zarua, which wasn't in print rush, that will tell him about Rabbi Vigdor Katz, who I mentioned before. The Ktsos has a fantastic grasp on these Shitas. Uh, just the example that I like the best, I think it's in Reish Beis, on Shlichus regarding a Matona, right? The Ramah sets this up in Evan Ha'ezer, but the Ketzos moves it along. A Machlokes between Rebarach Sefer HaChochmah and HaKadosh of, in Yeshivas they call it, based on the Ketzos, the Kadosh of Radom. It's probably the Kadosh of Dero. It's like Keves Kesef. The Kadosh of Dero is a Talmud of the Ri. Shlomo ben, uh, uh, ben Yehuda, Talmud of the Ri. Two balayatosas, one French, one German, arguing it out. You won't find it in any tosas. The Ramah puts them together very briefly, I think in Ebenezer Simon Lamed Hey. The Ketzos puts it into Choshen Mishpat. He's got them all. Now, where did he get it from? Who taught the Ketzos? Again, just to telegraph here, the Shach. Go look in the Shach and Choshen Mishpat. The Shach has all the Mordechai's mind. He has all these Kvatsim at his fingertips, and he's aware of these. Again, he's not interested in telling it to us for a doctoral degree. He's not, although we need somebody to write a doctorate about the shach. Somebody did, but we need more. He's not interested in giving us the history, but he knows the shittas, and he knows who these missing, these lost farm are, and that's a different school in Achronim, and the question is, you know, Kenya, it's not so simple to... By the way, the Nesivis, who was so such a genius... The Nesivas doesn't worry about all of these Makaras. He worries about the Lamdas. But the Ksos and the Shach, geniuses themselves, we don't have to give any credits here, we know who they are, they know who these Svarim are in a rather unusual way. So that's just a, uh, you know, a commercial.
Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. And and getting back to the part about the Rambam. So that's going to be your article in the forthcoming Safer Yoyable for Professor Schnell. Right. Which, which I, actually, I had a friend who's a little bit that's being put out by uh, Yeshiva University Press and either Ketav Urim. I'm not sure which division of Ketav Urim. Uh, I had a friend today said he would call and find out. We've seen the page proofs. It should be out uh, any minute. And um, I have a new book coming out, which you're kind enough to put on your website so people can uh, can look at that too. Yes, I want to mention that. Your new book coming out from Wayne State University Press, as all your books are, yep. is called Brothers from Afar, Rabbinic Approaches to Apostasy and Reversion in Medieval Europe. Talk a little bit about that. Give everyone a quick uh, overview of that. And why is this a topic you chose to write about now? Right. So this was basically Mauri Verabi, my doctor father, Professor Katz, had a wonderful, and he did it in a few pages, Kedako Bakoda. She had a separate article, too. Basically, he argued that throughout the medieval period, the approach to Mishumadim, um, both in terms of their doing tshuva and even, you know, Bishmadutam, was essentially Rashi's approach. Rashi, famous, who, based on the Gemara, based on a Pasuk, Rashi took that to mean that even though a Jew has sinned very grievously, he's gone to be, to act like a Christian, Yisrael who, you know, a yid bleib the yid. Two nafkaminas, one, two, two ramifications. One, if he wants to come back, smooth away as quickly as possible, you know, no, no barriers, no obstacles. If you come back to the kehila and you are practicing as a Jew, he has Chuvis Rashi, right? You find the wine of somebody who was before a Meshumid, right? And now you cut, he's advised to his house, can you drink the wine? The answer is yes. Now that he's observing again, he's back in the saddle. He's, uh, you know, Haver HaKahal. Again, you have, to, you have to see him coming to shul and you have to see him doing things correctly, but that's all that it requires. Uh, that's one nafkamina. The other ramification is when the Meshumid is still not with the Jewish community, you certainly can't lend money to him beribis. you can't lend to him at interest. Uh, Rashi has one heichitimtza where the Meshum is trying to mess up certain Jews. Can you, you know, can you then play it back on him? But normally speaking, the Meshumid, ad kach, if a Meshumid's brother dies and the wife needs, has no children, needs chalitza, the Meshumid must do chalitza. Otherwise, the is still there. You'll say, give out. What Christian Meshumid wants to do chalitza? That's an interesting question. And it's not that Rashi liked the Agunas less. It's that he liked the Meshumid being Jewish, male or female. A Meshumid is Jewish, according to Rashi. A Meshumid is a Jew. You can't eat with them when they're Meshumidim. You can't count them for a minion, but a Jew is a Jew. Professor Katz brilliantly held that that's the key idea separating the Rishonim from the Achronim. The Rishonim held like Rashi, very little to come back in, and where you find something, it may have been popular, they made him go to the mikveh, they did this, they did that, but the Rabbonim said, come back, right, and don't you know, there's a little bit Rabbeinu Tam allowed ribis, but that's just because he's not a chicha. That was a little, you know, it's a minor, a minor exception. But other than that, everything is the same until you get to the achronim. When you get to the achronim, you get to the marshal, you get to other achronim, the Bach and others, you find a more hostile attitude. And Katz's wonderful historical theory was 
that this has to do with the nature of Judaism and Christianity in these two different periods. In the medieval period, the Middle Ages, either you were a Jew or you were a Christian. Oh, you could be a Muslim, but in medieval Europe, you couldn't be a, a ethical culture, you couldn't be a hippie, you couldn't be, a, you were either, you know, so if you're part of the community, right, if you're part of the community, um, uh, um, uh, you, um, uh, you, what do you call it, you're in. Uh, and if not, you're out, and that's that's the Knemida. Whereas in the Achronim period, somebody's asked about the Marashtam and others. I have a little bit in the book, a little bit. If you're if you're in the Achronim period, there are more options. What kind of a Christian are you? Are you a Catholic? Are you hanging around with the Protestants? Are you some type of other other denomination? Not every uh, part of Christianity is exactly the same, but that's the point. You can be not a Jew and not a Christian. You're not a, not a fully orthodox Christian, and you can sort of hide. You can be a state person, right? You can be a, you know, you're loyal to the state, and therefore the Achronim felt that it was necessary for that, for those and for other reasons, to be much more stringent about Mishumadim to return, to have procedures and protocols, and to also be much more suspicious of them Mishmadutam. So what I found, you know, sounds like a hot, timely topic. But as my wife will tell you, I very rarely get the timely stuff right. However, I have a mazel. The mazel was, I found some very interesting makoros. I found Kisveyad, which basically show, starting from the Bale Hatosfis, a series of Bale Hatosfis, not all, maybe not even most, but certainly what I'll call Kfutsani Keret, a very clear group, and, the, you know, different people, different, different Balayatosis, who very clearly disagree with Rashi's approach. They don't necessarily quote him, but they very clearly disagree. For example, there's a whole series of Balayatosis starting with the Re and going into the 13th century who require Tevila, who require that a Meshumi to immerse himself in the Mikveh. Katz thought that was a popular custom. Interesting, Rashi doesn't say anything explicitly about it. Sounds like Rashi wouldn't have required it. They required it. In fact, the Ravia quoted in one source, it's an interesting source, goes so far as to say that he has to make a Kabbalah before a Bezdin that he's coming back. Wow. So you have a whole series of Hachmarot against, you know, not just Humras, but Hachmarot, real stringent tests for the Mishumid that begin with the Bala Hatosis and can be traced over a period of time. The same thing is true about those who are yet in their uh, state of apostasy. There are several German Balei Hatosfes who say, the Geonim held against Rashi, that if a Meshumid was already a Meshumid when he when the brother married his wife, she doesn't have to get Chalitza from him because it's a kind of almost a Tanai in the Kedushin. I'm not getting Chalitza from him, you know, assuming he's the only brother. I'm not getting involved with him and she's right. How they justified based on Gemara's is interesting, but that was the going position. I have a series of German Balei Hatosfes. again, some of these are unusual ones, but some of them are very well known, who hold that no chalitza is required by a Meshumid at all, because with respect to this mitzvah, he is not in the picture. Very interesting. The same thing is true in terms of ribis. It's not just the question of the Meshumid being a chicha, about supporting a min, supporting somebody who does heretical things and so on. You don't necessarily get rid of them, but you're just not to support them. You can take advantage of them, right? Because you can, you can, you know, you don't ruin them, but you take advantage and so on. So I found a very different picture, a tzadshik and neged, in these various uh, texts. As I write in the preface, 
Professor uh, uh, Katz was a wonderful Dr. Vater, and he always made us check our research assumptions, and he knew the Macarus. He was unbelievable. He Just unbelievable. Um, and I, so I kept asking myself, how come I'm coming up with different stuff, you know, a whole different approach? And the answer is Kitvayat. So Professor Katz is not wrong. His, his main line of Afbishchot Yisrael, who remains largely intact, but there's a whole series of changes that are suggested, and I put forward an argument as to why it happens when it happens. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to spend all night telling you what's in the book, <laughs> you know, uh, not because I don't want you, I'll, you know, you don't have to buy it, but you can look, read it in the library, but um, basically... It has to do with the, the, the relationship, to some extent, aside from the halachic issues involved, it's history of halacha, has to do with the worsening relationship between Jews and Christians, right? The Christians have decided the Jews are the biggest enemy of Christendom. Once that happens, a mishumet who goes over to Christians, you know, is, is a friend of my enemy. And I'll pee halacha that has ramifications. Anyway, that's one issue. I then trace also, this goes, the Ashkenazic view goes into Spain. The Ritvo and others pick it up. It even goes to Eastern Europe. They don't always realize it's coming from Ashkenaz. I talk about Trumas Hadeshen. So it's a whole new look on especially approaches to repentant apostates, reverting apostates, apostates coming back. But it also is the way that these Rishonim, starting with the Bali Hatos, but then really extending into the rest of Europe, um, and a little bit later as well, treat the... Um, these, these mishumadim in a sort of a, you know, it's a very interesting halachic way, and you really have to, it's not, it's not easy. It's history of halacha, and it's not easy to, to put it all together, but that's what I, uh, that's what I try to do. Right. Is, is, it, is it have uh, anything connection at all to Professor Elisheva Kalbach's book about the, the German, the, the passing later on? Right. So I mentioned her, first of all, she's the one who got me to give the original paper. And anyway, I, I thank her about 12 times in the preface because she, she set up a lot of this material for me to do. So she holds the old Shita. In other words, again, uh, Fessi Yerushalmi, who I studied with, who I had the chance to sit with in Columbia for free. He was so nice to me. All of our shalom, Professor Yerushalmi found a confessor's manual, Bernard Guillen is another one at the same time, who talk about Jews coming back, going to the mikveh, and they rubbed sand on the on the Mishumet HaChazer. You know, I call it the, the mikveh experience from, who knows, you know, from, from Gehenna there. Terrible. And he said he checked all the codes, he checked all the Svarim, and he doesn't find it in that period. This Bernard Guillen, we're talking about 1320s. And he says it must be the popular custom that Professor Kotz suggested. The way I'm saying it, Nishtar Zoy popular. It may have started out that way, but it had the support of the Chachamim. So Professor Karlbach has some of this Truma Tadeshin material, so she assumes that a lot of this goes back to this, you know, this quasi-popular approach. And it's certainly not, it's certainly possible, but there's a lot more material we can now see. I, I actually raised the point that Truma Tadeshin had a tremendous library. I can't prove that he had all these kids that I'm citing, nor do I think he had to worry about it. But Lechaura, he did have some version of at least some of these texts. So it's a kind of a friendly amendment. Gotcha. <clears throat> Definitely very fascinating. It should be out <clears throat> soon. Like I said, all your books are available from Wayne State University Press. Right, right. Uh, so you have point it, it, I think. What's that? Yeah, go ahead. I, no, I think that go go you go. I think that your book is coming out like in December. I think around then, anyways, they usually have like, have like a thirty or forty off still, which is a great time to buy all your books if anybody right. is looking. For well, I want you, I want you to know you have to give credit to State Wayne State, uh, are wonderful people, not necessarily of.
We've published these books with love, with all the footnotes. There's more Mikoros in there than you can possibly imagine on the page. And even though they've raised their price a little, they're immediately issuing a paperback of this new one that will sell for $35. So if you get the 40% off sale, you can, you know, uh, give them to your uh, friends for Hanukkah. But in the meantime, they really do a remarkable job. So Baruch Hashem. People say to me, why don't you change publishers? I go, because they keep making too good an offer. So uh, there's another book also coming out on crime in Ashkenaz. I brought him into the press. My friend Effie Shoham coming out in November. So first come down Novim, then come to Mishumadim. But uh, it's all, uh, it's all sounds like Purim Torah. It's all Wayne. So I'm happy to interact with people on that. And folks, you can find me. If you have questions, you can find me through Swaram Chatter, but you can find me, uh, uh, you know, my email at YU is visible, and I'm happy to answer uh, questions. Right, so just to, to wrap up, I know we ran a little bit long here. We didn't even get into Pia, so the whole interest of the Chafidi Ashkenaz, but that would be for a different time. And All right, that's even a different so time. Much- that's what I'm saying. No, that's what I'm saying. We'll get it at a different time. I just do want to, when I end up over here, people want to always learn up, read up more about the Balitaisvis, Rashi, etc. What would you advise them to read in Hebrew English? What's some good uh, suggested reading? Well, certainly, uh, you know, Professor Grossman's book in English on Rashi is very good. You know, it's accessible. You know, I'd recommend my books, but my big book, which has all the peanut stuff, uh, don't read it in the supine position, meaning don't read it while you're lying down because you'll be out very quickly. Uh, There are, uh, you know, it it depends what you want. Uh, I want you to know Professor Katz's exclusiveness and tolerance on, uh, you know, basically history of halach and baliatosphis and a little bit in the achronim is still a great book. I don't know if you can get these things anymore in print. These are still great books. Uh, you know, if you want to read, obviously, Salvechik, if you want to read the heavy duty, you read the heavy duty. But there are some, there are some uh, you know, uh, Orbach is a... Orbach is, I told you at the beginning, I when I was an 18-year-old kid and, you know, coming to the Rav at night, you know, after base Medrash, I was underlining Orbach. But it reads like a phone book. It's the best phone book you ever want to read. But you have to be ready to read all the details. It will tell you everything you need to know. You know what I would recommend there for B'nai Torah? He has a chapter, I think it's chapter 13 in the two-volume set, called Tosvo Shalonu. Not to be confused with Mayim Shalonu is my joke. Tosa Shalonu, he goes over the Tosas on each Masechta and tells you what base medrash it came from, what layers are in there. That's very helpful for B'nai Ubanos Torah who want to get a, a, you know, a kind of a snapshot of who, you know, what the Tosas, our printed Tosas look like. Then you go in and you can do individual Baya Tosas. And that, those Masechtas read pretty well. In other words, it's, it's pretty quick treatment. It's pretty brief treatment. He also has it in English in something called the Encyclopedia of Religion. In fact, I think he wrote the original article on Balayatosis. They said to me about 20, young man, we're going to do you a big honor. We're going to have you write the update. So he wrote all the good stuff and I cleaned it up. But it was fantastic. But you can read it in Hebrew. It's not hard. It's not hard reading. Um, by the way, uh, uh, the, the wonderful Menachem Butler, who I'm sure you know, put all my articles up. I have, I don't know, coming to 100 articles, Barsham, on Academia EDU. So it's not everything I ever wrote, but it's almost everything I ever wrote article-wise. So you can, I, I don't mean to sell other products, but you can certainly um, uh, do that. Right. Uh, somebody put up Aptovitz's Mavo Laravia. Right. Again, that was written in 1938. 
Gaon Shabigaon in Aptovitz really knows his stuff. Again, reading it, it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's different than, it's not a phone book, but it's also very dense. So, so, you know, there are these books that you can read. You have to know what you're getting yourself into. You have to pick out, I, I recommend them all because they're all great books, but you have to know, do you want to read an overview? Do you want to read in depth? Um, and, and, you know, I can, again, if people have specific questions, I can try to direct you, uh, you know, I'm Balayatosvis in English, uh, so, uh, Mr. Swarmchatter said to me, somebody should write a, uh, you know, an easier book on Balayatos in English. And he's right. Right? So, uh... I was, was going to go there. I, I, I asked you this off the air. I, I, I think yeah. this should I'll take your last book, the previous one, and, and may, may, I don't mean this in a bad way, dumb it down, make it for the general public, a basic overview. You know, something like uh, Professor Arbach is old, and it's in Hebrew, and it's heavy also. Making right. something simple for the general public, I think, would be great because it Balayatos is something that everybody interacts with today. The is so big, everybody interacts with it. And they just don't <laughs> know so much. About well, it. well, somebody said take the book, just chop off the footnotes, but that's no fun. But Blinetter, okay, <laughs> my wife also tells me so. Everybody, you're in good company. So, oh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's certainly worthwhile. Certainly worthwhile. Oh yeah, there's a, there's um somebody putting up now Arye Leibowitz, who was my student. I, I I was his doctor father who wrote on Tosus Tuch. He has a nice a couple of articles in Hakira in English that are pretty, uh, that are more basic, that are, you know, Hakira, that are, that are uh, look under Arye Leibowitz. He did a very nice doctorate for us at Yeshiva. He was my student, very wonderful fellow. And um, he, he's he got it at a pretty pretty calm level. He's, uh, uh, you know, what he wrote in Hakira is, is calm. He's got a whole doctorate you can read too, but uh, what he wrote in Hakira is very nice. Gotcha. Okay. Very Thanks. good. So. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm sorry about the audio issue in the middle, but yeah, we, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. we got it sorted out. It's all good. I'm better at writing than doing doing technical things. But I also thank the people for comments. I couldn't get to them, but there were some very good comments. So thank you to the, uh, to the, to the commenters, commentators. Okay. Thank you very much for joining. Call to be well, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you.